Well, this morning we'll continue in the book of Mark. We'll pick up right where we left off last week in chapter 9 of Mark. Um, so if you want to turn there or flip it, open it up in the YouVersion Bible app, you can do that and follow along. We'll start in Mark 9, chapter 14. But we're in this section called On the Way, and it's Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And he's beginning to explain why that is to his disciples. And he explains that he will go to, to be killed, to be rejected, and to suffer and to rise again. And so that's his mission and purpose as the one who has sent, been sent by God. And so that's what he's about to try to accomplish. And we've seen he's going to do this three times where he kind of predicts what's going to happen. And we're in the first one of those. And we're going to wrap that up this morning, and then we'll see the next one next week. But once every time that he clarifies and predicts, hey, this is what's going to happen to me, he then clarifies what it means to be a disciple, to follow him. And we saw early that he said, right, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And then we have the mountaintop experience of the transfiguration, where he's transformed in front of Peter, James, and John, and they can see his true identity and see who he really is and to say that he, he is greater than all the prophets and all the teachers, both then and now. So they see more of who he is. But today we're going to pick up actually what was happening um, not on the mountain with the other nine disciples. We're going to see what they were doing and what happens when Jesus enters that situation. So we'll continue to see what it means to clarify what, what a follower of Christ looks like, what a disciple is, and how easy it is to turn to other things, to trust in other things, including ourselves. But we can overcome our fears and our doubts and our struggles with prayerful dependence in Jesus. So let's read this together this morning in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to speak to you. I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And he replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can... Everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly, quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And then it came out, shrinking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. And the boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. And after he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer. 
And so this morning, what we're going to see is how we can trust in God and how when we don't, it leads to failure, just like we saw in the disciples. And so first we're going to see that belief in yourself leads to failure. So Jesus, James, Peter, and John are up on the mountain. They have this great experience of seeing Jesus transformed in front of them. And then, while at the bottom, the other disciples, the other nine, are trying to continue to do ministry. And we find them on their own. And if you've been following along, anytime the disciples are on their own without Jesus, or they think they're on their own without Jesus, it normally doesn't go very well. Um, Usually we've seen this when they are in a boat, um, traveling across the sea. There's a one time where he's asleep, and they think they're on their own, and they kind of freak out because of the storm, and then he calms the storm. And then there's the other time where he sends them across in the boat. They are by themselves, but Jesus walks by and they freak out um, because of Jesus. So disciples on their own is, are not, it's not usually a good thing. And we see that here again. And in this uh, instance, we see them bring a, a man brings his son to them to, be, to try to heal them. And we see that they're not able to heal him. And we'll get to why that is later. But I want us to think about what's happening here in this moment. Because the disciples have been given the authority to heal and to cast out demons when Jesus sent them all out um, a few chapters ago to go and do that very thing. To preach the gospel, to preach repentance and the kingdom of God is near, to cast out demons and to heal. So they've done this before. They have healed. They have cast out demons with success before. But here's what I think is happening. The disciples assumed their ability and their authority. Jesus isn't here, right? He's not with them, but they say, hey, even though Jesus isn't here, we've done this before. We've traveled without him. We've healed before, so I'll be good. We've got this covered. So they were believing in themselves, that they had the skills, that they've done this already, that they have the power, that they can do this on their own. And I think that's the first caution for us just in these verses is thinking we can do things on our own. You might say, hey, I've been a Christian for decades. I can handle this, whatever the situation is that you're in. Or I've overcome this struggle, this addiction, this temptation before, so I can just do it again. Or we think like the disciples and think, I can handle this by myself. I don't need Jesus to come and help me. And we, th- we maybe we've taken on something and we're trying to do something or we're trying to make a decision or overcome something, but we didn't pray about it first. And we tried it on our own. Or maybe if we did pray, it was just a real quick prayer that was more like a ritual, right? I just say these words, and then I'm good, and I can say that I trusted in Jesus and move on. And then we don't wait on God to reveal himself to us to show us what to do. And I think it's this attitude, which is the same attitude in the disciples, where we're relying on ourselves or kind of leaving God out of it, that we are likely to experience the same results as the disciples, which was failure. They were not successful because they were relying on themselves. And then we see Jesus' response to them saying, well, we couldn't heal it. They couldn't heal my son. And he calls them an unbelieving generation in verse 19. Now, I think he's specifically referring to the disciples, but I think it also would include the crowd who is around him at the same time. And he's basically saying, look, you've seen enough. You've seen what I can do. I've done all of these things in front of you. You've seen them before, yet you still don't believe. So Jesus asked these rhetorical questions, right? How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? 
I think he's expressing some frustration with them because they have seen so much and it still hasn't resulted in greater faith. Because this sentiment of, man, I wish you guys would understand already has been repeated over and over. In chapter 4, he asks them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's in the boat with the storm. And then in chapter 6, when they're on the boat again and he walks by, have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then chapter 8, 17. Do you not understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see and ears and not hear? And do you not remember? So all of this together suggests that Jesus is experiencing a little bit of weariness and a little bit of frustration that the disciples aren't picking this up more quickly, that they're not understanding who he really is. Right, they should have figured this out by now. And I think even at this point, we're saying that. Hey guys, you should have understood this already. Why do you keep being confused? But even though he wants them to see and to hear and to understand more quickly, he doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't stop teaching them. He doesn't stop trying to get their attention. He continues to teach them, to show them, to reveal himself to them over and over and over again which I think is great news for us. Because even if we rely on ourselves too much or we do things our own way, or if we're slow to trust him or slow to understand what God is showing us or revealing to us or trying to teach us, Jesus doesn't give up on us. He doesn't stop trying to teach us. He continues to seek us out, to teach us, both in big things and in small things. Whatever he's doing, he's always trying to draw us into a deeper knowledge of himself, even if we fail over and over and over again, which is great news for us that he continues to seek us out. And in this instant, it also doesn't stop Jesus from helping the man and his son, even though the disciples couldn't help, and even though they should believe and they should be able to do this and they should have enough faith to trust in him, and they don't, he's still going to help them. And so that's what we see next, is that belief in Jesus leads to restoration. So Jesus begins to talk to the Father, and he gets some background information, just, hey, how long has this been happening? What's going on? And he hears that the, the, the son from a very young age has been thrown into convulsions. He rolls around. Sometimes it tries to destroy him. It puts him into the fire. But he finishes his explanation with, if you can, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response is, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. But what does that mean that everything is possible for the one who believes? Does it mean that if I have enough faith, I can get anything I want? If I'm not getting answers or faith from God, does that mean that I'm just not believing enough or my faith isn't strong enough? Well, I don't think so, but we have a couple of options for what this could mean, so let's look at those really quick. One is that everything is possible to you if you have the amount or quality of faith necessary. Meaning, if my faith is strong enough, if my belief is strong enough, I can do anything. I can overcome anything. And so in this instance, right, the man, if, if no matter what I believe, no matter what kind of faith I have, as long as it's strong enough, I can get it. This seems to disqualify the man because in a minute he's going to say, help my unbelief, meaning his faith isn't really that strong. 
But how do we maybe do that? How do we say, well, if my faith is strong enough or I believe this enough or my faith is good enough, then I'll get whatever I want. Sometimes that may sound like or look like, well, if I read my Bible every day, then God will do this. Or if I do this action, if I read my Bible, if I pray, if we're talking about spiritual disciplines, if I check the box of doing all the spiritual disciplines just by themselves, then I'll get a better result, a favorable answer from God. I don't think that's what that means because that's obviously opposed to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ coming for us and saving us doesn't say that. The more we do, the more God loves us. The more works that we do, the more favorable God is towards us. No, it says that God's love and his mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ coming to die for us in out of love for us isn't because of anything that we do. It isn't actually even because of the strength of our faith, but it's because of his grace and mercy poured out towards us. We can't earn his affection and his attention. It is given to us freely by God through Christ in his sacrifice. The second possible answer is everything is possible if you have faith in what I can do for you. That's Jesus placing the emphasis not on how much faith we have or the quality of our faith, but on the relationship of trust between the man and Jesus. So the main point of this would say, the miracle does not depend on the degree, the quality, or the amount of the man's faith, but the faith in the object that he is trusting in, meaning the faith in Jesus. Jesus, as the object of his faith, has the power to heal he has the power to overcome. And so it's this object of the faith that actually matters. And so even if our faith is weak, even if we struggle, even if we have doubts, because our faith is in Christ, who is strong, who is powerful, that makes all the difference. So it wasn't how much faith he had or how strongly he believed, but if he could believe that Jesus in his power had the power to heal him, so the question for us is, do we believe that Jesus can step in? Not based on how much faith we have or the quality of our works or our spiritual life, but on the basis of his power and his grace. Do we treat him more like a, a genie where, hey, if I say these words or I do these things, then God will look favorably on me and he'll give me blessings. Or we just trust in him that he will give us what we need. He will be sufficient for our needs, sufficient for our salvation, sufficient for our faith and life. And we put our trust in him, even if it's weak faith. Our trust in him, because he is strong, makes all the difference. And the man responds to this, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think this is actually the center of this story. This is what it's all built around, is this phrase right here. And it's a tension between belief in God and faith in God versus faith and belief in yourself. It's a tension between belief and doubt. And so the man is expressing this tension so clearly and so concisely, and I think he's actually being super honest in this moment about where he is in his faith. And he's about as honest as you can believe because he says, I believe, right? I believe you can heal him. 
I have faith in you. I believe that you have the power and the ability to restore him. But help my unbelief. I can't believe on my own. I need help. I can't keep believing. I can't keep hoping all alone. I'm trying, but I fail again and again and again. Right to say, I'm trying, but I'm full of doubts. And this is good news for us, right? That we can be full of doubts and Jesus can still help us. He can still heal us. He can still bring us to life through salvation. Because Jesus doesn't say we need perfect righteousness. He doesn't say go and purify your heart, go confess your sins, get rid of all your doubts and all your double-mindedness. Get rid of all of that. And once you get rid of all of that, you can come back and then I'll help you. It's not what Jesus does. Jesus heals the son even in the midst of this man's unbelief, of his seemingly weak faith. Because the boy's father said, I'm, I'm riddled with doubts. I'm not as faithful as I want to be. I can't get the strength necessary to believe enough. But please help me. I think that's another thing that we can learn from this story is to be honest about our faith, to be honest about our doubts, to be honest about where we are. And you may be saying, well, in my faith, I don't even buy this, right? This Jesus thing, this one way to heaven, this grace of him dying on the cross, I just don't buy it. I don't believe it. And I think that's okay. That's an okay place to be, especially if you're watching this. We're glad that you are watching um, if that's where you are. But I think being honest with God and saying, look, I don't buy this. Help me to see. Help me to understand. Is there truth to this? And just asking that or even praying that if you would risk that, that it may be proved true just to say, this is where I'm at. Or to say, well, I'm a believer and I believe, but I still have doubts. Some days I'm not sure that this is the right way to go. Sometimes I'm not sure that God is going to come through. Sometimes I'm not sure that Jesus is going to help me. And so I have doubts. Or you may be further along and you say, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I have more faithful days than doubting days, but you still want to do better. And I think being honest about where we are in our faith actually helps us grow. If we can see the places where we doubt, if we can see the places where we struggle, if we can see the places where we want to try to take over on our own and trust in ourselves against God, that helps us grow in our faith because as we see the weak spots, we can strengthen them. As we see the places where we're tempted to take over, we can let go. If we can see the place where we're tempted to doubt, we can get answers. We can talk to other people. We can talk to God about those. So being honest about where you are in your faith, I think goes a long way to us growing in our faith. And then finally, we're going to get to the answer, the solution, that belief through prayer leads to life and faith and power. And so we see Jesus heal the boy and what we see in the boy first is we see lots of activity, right? We see thrashing, we see convulsions, we see action. And action usually means life. But even though these things, these actions may have looked like the boy was alive, it actually he was dead inside. And so the enemy made him look alive when he was actually dead. 
The goal was to destroy him, and here it was obvious, but it isn't always so obvious that the enemy is trying to destroy him or to us. And I think the same is true for us. Our activity, all of the things that we do, they may look like we are alive. We may be doing activity, even good Christian activities, going to church, reading our Bibles, maybe even praying, and they look like we're alive. But if they're done on our own, in our own strength, to just gain something for us, or to appease God, or to win God's favor, or to earn God's favor, or to look better than other people, then those things are not full of life. They're full of death, and they're deceiving us. Right? They are the actions of a dead person, not just life. Not life, but just activity. But everybody else thinks that he's dead, but Jesus restores him to true life. Right? They think he's dead, and Jesus picks him up and raises him up into life, and everyone else can see that he is alive. And for us, true life also comes through Christ, who picks us up out of our death, and he restores us. He helps us to see real life, and for others to actually to see real life in us as well. That through his death and resurrection, which he's reminding us of, of again, Right? When he talks about, and this boy looks dead, but it looks like he brings him back to life, it's another reminder that his resurrection is coming, that his death is coming, and the way that we can have life is through him being raised. And we see that demonstrated in this child, that we can be changed from death to life as we trust in him and rely on him and believe that we are sinners, that we are broken, that we are helpless that we are doubters. But if we put our faith in Christ, if we put our trust in him, who was powerful, who was perfect, who was righteous, that came and lived his life on earth as a man, fully God and fully man, and then he went to the cross to sacrifice, to pay the penalty for sin, and selfishness and brokenness so that things could be made right. And he died for us, but then rising again on the third day. This is we believe and trust in that with whatever we can muster, whether it's weak or whether it's strong, whether we doubt or not. But if we truly believe, even just a little, that he can save us, that he has the power to renew us and to restore us, that's how we move from death to life. And then finally, we get to the answer to the disciples' issues, right? The way to overcome doubt, to overcome the lack of fruit, the lack of success of trying to do things on your own. We finally get the answer. They ask him, hey, why couldn't we heal this boy? And he says, it only happens through prayer. And so from this, we can see that the disciples believed that the power that they had been given to heal, to cast out demons, was under their control, and that they could summon it on their own whenever they wanted. They thought it was theirs to use whenever they want, wanted and however they deemed necessary. And they had taken it for granted, and they saw it as something they deserved, even deserved to have because they were followers of Jesus. And this is a subtle form of unbelief that encouraged them 
to trust in themselves rather than God. Right? They no longer depended on him for the power and the ability and the authority that they would come to be able to heal and to cast out demons. It wasn't something that belonged to him, to them, but it was God's power that came from God through them. And it showed their lack of faith and their lack of understanding in how this power actually worked. Right, that this power and authority given to them by God, yes, it was theirs, yes, Jesus had given it to them, but it could only be used in prayerful dependence on God so that each time they wanted to heal, each time they wanted to cast out a demon or to do something to follow Jesus, they were to reveal their faith and dependence through prayer. It put them in the right mindset that it was only through God's power that they could have the ability and the success in healing and casting out demons. And the answer for us is exactly the same. We can have success. We can endure. We can grow. We can thrive through prayerful dependence on God. Because what does prayer actually do for us? Prayer fosters dependence on God. It leads us to trust and depend on him. It reminds us that we can't do anything on our own. We need the power of God for salvation. We need the power of God for strength to live out what he's calling us to live. We need the power of God for the discipline to seek him, to practice spiritual disciplines like we're talking about to pray and to study and to hear his word and to meditate on his word and to memorize scripture. We need his power for the discipline to choose to do those things. But it also reminds us that even though we might feel powerless to overcome any situation, we can overcome not because of our faith or because of our skills, but because of the power of God and the power of Jesus through us. That it's not what we can do or how strong our faith is, but it's the object of our faith. It's the power of Jesus in us that changes everything, that allows us to overcome. And as we pray, it reorients us to faithfully depend on God in all things. That no matter what situation you're facing, no matter what's going on in your life, whether it's a great thing or it's a difficult thing, whether it's awesome or it's tragic, the power of God in us will lead us to depend on him, to trust in him. It reminds us that what we need the most is a humble seeking of God by faith. It's only as we trust in him through prayer that we can fulfill and live out the great and mighty things he has called us to do as followers of Christ. And so what Jesus is clarifying in this story is that when we try to do things on our own, when we leave him behind, we're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But the more that we trust in him, the more that we rely on him, the more that we have faith in the power of God. And we're honest about where we are and where we might doubt and where we might struggle, that he will help us because he is powerful. He is greater than all of those things, and he can make us whole. He can give us life, true life in him. So 
So this week, my, my challenge to you is to prayerfully depend on God, that you would pray, not just to get it out of the way or to get it on your checklist, but to actually seek God and what he wants you to do and to wait for him and to listen for him and prayerfully depend on God to show up, to give you what you need to meet your needs and just to see what he does, see how he moves, see how he heals or restores or helps you overcome temptation or to have patience or to have strength or to have discipline, that he will give those to you as we depend on him. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come together and we worship you and we thank you. We thank you that you give us your word to show us how to depend on you, that it shows us again your power and your mercy and your grace, how you can overcome no matter the situation, even where we would fail or where the disciples fail or where others may fail, you can succeed. That that success, that faith can come to us through you, through depending on you and trusting in you and allowing you to work through us. So God, we pray that you will help us to see you clearly, to understand what you're doing in our lives. That you would help us to see, to hear, and to understand, and to trust prayerfully in you, that it would become just a normal part of our lives to spend time in prayer, seeking you, depending on you, of reorienting our lives around you and your power, and not on us and our strength or skills or talents or knowledge but to lean fully on you in all things. In your name I pray. Amen.